Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Good day, everyone. This is Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction, and I'm your host, Reese Hendrick. By the way, the very moving piece you just heard is called Impromptu for Twelve Fingers by composer Michael Nyman that was created for the film we're covering today, Gattaca. I get some pretty serious Tchaikovsky vibes from Nyman, and I super dig it. A bit of Chopin in there as well. Nice. This week's topic comes as a suggestion from our guest, the very funny Hewitt Pagenstucker. We get to meet up at my father's place in southeast Portland to chat about the film, its implications, comedy, life, and lots more. So check that out after some juicy, genetically modified facts, as well as a look into Hewitt's world with a clip from his vlog at the end of the episode. In the meantime, you've reached Gattaca Corporation Security Checkpoint Alpha. We'll be needing a blood sample to ensure your genetic status before issuing a company-wide... Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Yes, it's true. The unthinkable has happened, and a rogue invalid is polluting the airwaves with... Facts! It's me. As always, if you're unfamiliar with this 90s sci-fi staple, then by all means, pause this and go watch Gattaca ASAP. As of the airing of this episode, it's available for streaming on Netflix, so phone up that aunt you hardly talked to, grab that sweet, sweet password after 20 minutes of painful catching up, settle in with some of that future weed we're all smoking, and enjoy one of the top-rated science fiction films from the year 1997. And these facts. But before I launch into the facts behind the film, <laughs> see what I did there? Well, uh, uh, oh, well, maybe, maybe you'll get it after this quick recap of the events. Here we go. In the not-too-distant future, eugenics is common. A genetic registry database uses biometrics to classify those so created as valids, while those conceived naturally and more susceptible to genetic disorders are known as invalids. Genetic discrimination is legal, but in practice, genotype profiling is used to identify valids to qualify for professional employment while invalids are relegated to menial jobs. Vincent Freeman was conceived naturally and his genetic profile indicates a high probability of several disorders and an estimated lifespan of only 30.2 years. His parents, regretting their decision, used genetic selection in conceiving their second child, Anton Jr. Growing up, the two brothers often play a game of quote chicken by swimming out to sea as far as possible with the first one returning to shore considered the loser and Vincent always loses. Vincent dreams of a career in space travel, but is always reminded of his genetic inferiority. One day, Vincent challenges Anton to a game of chicken and beats him. Anton starts to drown and is saved by Vincent. Shortly after this event, Vincent leaves home. Years later, Vincent works as an invalid, cleaning office spaces, including that of space flight conglomerate Gattaca Aerospace Corporation. He gets a chance to pose as a valid by using donated hair, skin, blood, and urine samples from former swimming star Jerome Eugene Morrow, who was paralyzed after being hit by a car. 
They enter into an agreement known as a Borrowed Ladder, where Vincent assumes Jerome's status in society. With Jerome's genetic makeup, Vincent gains employment at Gattaca and is assigned as navigator for an upcoming mission to Saturn's moon Titan. To conceal his identity, Vincent must meticulously groom and scrub down daily to remove his own genetic material, pass daily DNA scanning and urine tests using Jerome samples, and hide his heart defect. When a Gattaca administrator is murdered a week before a possible launch, the police find one of Vincent's eyelashes near the crime scene but can only identify it as from an unregistered invalid and thus launch an investigation to find who owns the eyelash. During this, Vincent becomes close to a co-worker, Irene Cassini, which is undoubtedly a reference to the Cassini spacecraft that had a mission to Saturn, but I digress and falls in love with her subsequently. Though a valid, Irene has a higher risk of heart failure that will bar her from any deep space mission. Vincent also learns that Jerome's paralysis is self-inflicted. After placing silver in the Olympics, Jerome threw himself in front of a car. Jerome maintains that he was designed to be the best, yet somehow wasn't, and is suffering because of this. Vincent repeatedly evades the grasp of the investigation, and finally it's revealed that Gattaca's mission director, Joseph, killed the administrator because he threatened to cancel the mission. Vincent learns that the detective who closed the case was his brother, Anton, who consequently has discovered Vincent's presence. The brothers meet, and Anton warns Vincent about his illegal actions, but Vincent asserts that he has gotten to this position on his own merits. Anton challenges Vincent to a final game of chicken, and as the two swim out at night, Vincent's stamina surprises Anton. So Vincent reveals that he won by not saving energy for the swim back and going all in on the swim out. Anton turns back and begins to drown, but Vincent rescues him yet again and swims them both back to shore. On the day of the launch, Jerome reveals that he has stored enough DNA samples for Vincent to last two lifetimes upon his return and gives him an envelope to open once in flight. After saying goodbye to Irene, Vincent prepares to board but discovers there is a final genetic test and he currently lacks any of Jerome's samples. He's surprised when Dr. Lamar, who oversees background checks, reveals that he knew Vincent has been posing as a valid the whole time. Lamar admits that his son looks up to Vincent and wonders whether his son, genetically selected but not all that they promised, could exceed his potential just as Vincent has. The doctor changes the test results, allowing Vincent to pass, and as the rocket launches, Jerome dons his swimming medal and immolates himself in his home's incinerator. Vincent opens the note from Jerome to find only a lock of Jerome's hair. As the film ends, Vincent muses that, For someone who was never meant for this world, I must confess, I'm suddenly having a hard time leaving it. Of course, they say every atom in our bodies was once part of a star. Maybe I'm not leaving. Maybe I'm going home. Okay, folks, here are some rapid-fire facts about the film, cast, and director Andrew Nichol. Speaking of whom, it was his directorial debut. He is otherwise most known for The Truman Show. Oh, and Danny DeVito happened to produce the film, which is pretty funny. Starring Ethan Hawke as Vincent Freeman, Jude Law as Jerome Eugene Morrow, and Uma Thurman as Irene Cassini, it debuted in 1997 and grossed $12.5 off of a $36 million budget. Ouch, that's a loss. This was also Maya Rudolph's film debut, but you can hardly tell as she is a nursing assistant with a mask on, but it's for sure her. The film was shot under the title The Eighth Day, and this was a reference to the biblical creation story, which states that the earth was created in six days and on the seventh day God rested. The original title implies the tampering of man with what God has already made, and The Eighth Day is still the name of the center in the movie where the children are engineered. Due to a Belgian film of the same name, The Eighth Day, released in 1996, writer-director Andrew Nichol was forced to choose a new title for his film. The name Gattaca is composed entirely of the letters used to label the nucleotide bases of DNA sequencing. The four nitrogen bases of DNA, or deoxyribonucleic acid, are adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine. While it has been identified that Gattaca uses the four DNA nucleotide abbreviations of GATC, more specifically when identifying genetic markers, the tests measure, quote, short tandem repeats at specific DNA marker locations. These are known as GATA or CA repeats, hence Gattaca. 
Perhaps the most sci-fi part of the movie, genome editing, seems possible with the CRISPR-Cas9, which was invented by Emmanuel Carpentier and Jennifer Doudna in 2012. For this, they were awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2020. The ID photo of Jerome is a digitally morphed version of the faces of actors Ethan Hawke and Jude Law, which makes sense because it doesn't quite look like either one of them directly. Uma Thurman's character is named Irene Cassini. Cassini is the surname of the 17th century Italian astronomer Giovanni Domenico Cassini, who discovered the prominent gap in Saturn's main rings, as well as its icy moons. In 1997, NASA launched the Cassini space probe bound for Saturn. It carried the Huygens space probe, which was dropped into Titan in early 2005 and discovered ground underneath the clouds. The exterior shot of Vincent and Jerome's apartment is actually the CLA building of Cal Poly Pomona by architect Antoine Predic. And the Marin County Civic Center, which is the filming location of the Gattaca Corporation, was also used in George Lucas's THX 1138, which came out in 1971. Oh, and by the way, the opening song impromptu for 12 Fingers that you heard at the top of this episode is played by a 12-fingered pianist who performs on stage with a dozen red roses next to him. A coincidence? <laughs> Sometimes I wish I had a genetically enhanced brain. Then I wouldn't be so consumed with random sci-fi and history facts and might be able to free up some space for something useful, like perfect D&D strategy. Yes, it's true. I also like fantasy, but that's the most you'll hear out of me about it. Unless you stop me in the streets or at Dark Horse Comics in Milwaukee and strike up a conversation about how well They're in Back Again or The Hobbit sets up the events for the trilogy. I get it. It's your precious. Right now we have an interview with Portland comedian, social media magnate, and overall cool person, Hewitt Pagenstecker. We shared some drinks and some laughs at my father's place before, during, and after the weekly comedy open mic that takes place there on Fridays at 8.30, hosted by the super awesome Michael J. Phelps. Hewitt and I also got to gabbing about Gattaca, so check it out. Tascam type thing you got here. What's, what's that? It's, it's like cool. It's like a Tascam, right? Is that what these are called? Um, you know, I, it's uh, it's a Zoom handy mic one. Oh, word. Okay. That's probably also wrong. I just uh, uh, I used to have an audio device that had yeah. these two kind of microphones that crossed over like that that you could adjust and. Right, yeah, so... It, it was I mean, of, it, maybe uh, the brand was Pascam. I see. Yeah, no, we're, we're coming live in stereo from my father's place. Yep. Hi, Huey. Hey, how's it going, Reese? Huey Pagenstecker, that's the other voice other than mine. Yeah, um, so happy to be on the podcast, man. Appreciate Dude. you inviting me on. Thank love, you for coming love, on. Love, like, you know, being a guest on people's shows and podcasts, and it's fun, and, you know, I... But uh, you're not doing your own. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm like normally the host. I'm normally in host mode. I'm trying to think about how to like you know set the guest up for a good you know conversation or dialogue or you know. Like when I send you questions 30 minutes before we're set to meet. That's normally me. That's my job. (laughs) Yeah. Glad, glad to. Now you're on vacation. Now you can relax. You know what was good about this podcast is it made me like obligated to watch a movie. You know, I was like, okay, I got a mandatory movie night for Hewitt, right? I did that right before I came here. You had a couple drinks when I was watching it. I'm like, this totally. is nice. Which it's probably a fun thing about doing this podcast. You get to watch a bunch of movies every week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I live in a different subject for a week, if not longer. Like uh, n- next week, I'm doing Raise My Wolves with Rochelle Cochran. Cool. And I'm gonna. I'm. I've been living in. Like I took a breather. I went up for some air and I watched Gattaca. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, great! All the feelings. And now I get to like, you know, dive right back into a very. Uh, it's kind of an intense show. Gattaca. Raise my wolves. Raise my wolves. Sorry, I'm still burping up beer from yesterday. Saint Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still burping up a lot of green beer and food, I, food coloring. I know I had a bunch of food coloring too. I yeah. had some green beer. It was like one of my first. I took like a month off drinking. Yeah, just for Saint Patrick's Day. 
Oh no, I just I just was meaning to you know I like taking I'm breaks sure every, every yeah, now yeah. and then you know just yeah, it's a good call. flick some willpower or whatever. It had been years and just to okay. break habits of smoking and drinking most days or whatever. Hey man, willpower flex is a good. That's a good flex. That's what Ethan Hawke's character Vincent does in Gattaca. Exactly. Yeah. That's He's what a straight up willpower flex against all statistical odds and you know like there's that that ha- and we'll get to it but like you know how how surefire they are in their society about like oh we we know to a scientific degree of certainty you're going to end up this way so why even invest in you that's i think that's a pretty main theme throughout the whole, the so, whole movie. yeah um, it's like that your fate is almost predetermined based off your genetics and for being a post-racial society whereas like your class is based on your genetic makeup uh they did have one black person in the whole movie so good for them yeah i mean 1997 right another time that's that's true that's true uh speaking of 1997 there was a lot that came out that year like sci-fi wise there was uh the fifth element Starship Troopers, Event Horizon, which I'm doing for a Halloween episode. Like, throughout the month of October, I'm going to do, like, four science fiction movies or television shows that are, like, horror-based. can't really think of a show, but more so movies, like cool. Event Horizon. Uh, then we've got Alien Resurrection. I might make the cut. going to revisit Alien with, uh, with Tyus McCallan. He's on Shady Pines Radio. You can't see me right now because it's a radio broadcast, but I'm wearing my Shady Pines Radio spike. Nice. Uh, Yo, it's yeah. a cool shirt. It's a red Everyone shirt. needs to check out these shirts. Aliens, there's Bigfoot, there's Owl with a boombox. There's it's a lot a, going on. It's a really cool illustration, man. Yeah. Kudos to whoever designed this shirt. I'll, I'll be sure to put their contact information in the comment, like the original, you know, posting comment for this episode. Do you give out shirts to your guests by is. any chance? Uh, you know <laughs> Do I what? get merch? This would be um, great merch. You know, you're the first person to ask. Uh, you, I will get you a shirt. And for they're, they're, oh, absolutely, yeah. No, there's there's a bunch of different. There's like four or five different designs. So we'll get you a muscle tee or or tank. You seem like a I'm muscle stoked. T- you yeah, seem like yeah. A I like, I like flex- flexing my guns, you yeah. know. Spring's yeah. coming up, summer's coming up. Yeah. You know, I like to, you know, I don't know, I'm down for a, for a, for a tank, for sure. <laughs> Whatever you can give me, just anything with a cool design like that. I will absolutely get it to you. So, uh, let me ask you this, Hewitt, what's your Instagram? It's just Hewitt. So it's J-U-S-T-H-E-W-I-T-T-T. There's an extra T at the end. I only have two T's in my name, but yeah, it's just Hewitt. Everyone reads it as just the wit. I'm pretty sure. Like no one reads it as just Hewitt, like a play on the Nike slogan. I no, no. <laughs> you know what? Not, not until you explained it. And yeah. mu- much like, You're like all. What? Go- Are you sure that's your Instagram? Do you have a second Instagram? Much like all good uh, content, you have to. You, you know, if you explain it, that's when you know it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> is that true, or are you being sarcastic? Very. Uh, yeah. but, but, <laughs> Just like comedy, right. you know your joke's good if you exp- I need to explain right. it. Yeah, yeah, because if, you, if you're looking back at nothing but blank faces, that's when you know you're on the right track, because then you're like, oh, great, now I get to explain why it's funny. And then everyone laughs, probably not with you, though. I got in the Instagram game to make smarter handles than everybody. I don't want them to be able to understand it. Yeah, just just Hewitt is funny. Like now like now that I think of it, it's very funny. It's yeah. very unique. It makes it, it I need an underscore or something. I've just had it for like over half a decade I think. Okay. Or so some sort of early. like a period in the yeah. middle, like just Hewitt. Because people just see the the like the brain recognizes the the they're like just the wit. Right. Which is like sounds really cocky <laughs> you know I'm like I'm just pure wittiness you know it's like what type of name is that and the wit is so hard if you got two extra T's on there yeah so you're not oh wit duh ends in three right, T's right yeah. that's that's how witty he is yeah well alright you can definitely check out the insta the IG um, how did you get started in stand up comedy you know, how did I get started in stand-up comedy? I've been doing it for a little over three years, and um, I think I I used to I used to work at this job, this like mailroom type job, and it was I was doing like a bunch of manual labor, and I would always kind of like just be like thinking of stuff. We all daydream, you know. Sure. So I was just thinking of like just like some bits and just laughing to myself. And then eventually, like, you end up making yourself crack up, just, like, in your head, probably looking like an insane person walking down the street. Mm. But eventually, I was like, one of, the, one of these would be fun to try on stage, you know? And I think, I think I was just, like, 
okay, like I'm having ideas, I might as well try them on stage. Like that'd be fun. Sure. You know, share these ideas with other people. Yeah. Um, so just like thinking of jokes, I think was the thing that drove me to try stand up comedy. Yeah, I, I mean, it, oftentimes I've like I've talked with uh, people. I've I was like I grew up a class clown. You know, like when I'm talking to people, like oh that's funny. And it, it was just like an idea or a thought that I had that wasn't necessarily like intended to be set up punchline. It just comes out that way sometimes. And I think, um, you know, much like sales, it's something that you have to be a little bit innately born with, you know, or, or at least like a long-term skill that gets developed and becomes part of your persona Yeah. Uh, in order to channel comedy. And this comes from someone who's mediocre at it at best. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I guess my... Uh, my point is that it takes a unique perspective, I think, to get into stand-up. But yeah, so you're not like that, that hacker, you know. Well, when when somebody is uh, developing an idea, whether no matter what it is, right? You come to that threshold, which I think you were kind of describing, of like, oh, this this has let, like how we call it, like this has legs. Yeah. Yeah, and when you get to that point in your own mind and or, you know, maybe you've tested the waters with a coworker or a family member and, like, you, you say a quip or, like, a quick punchline to a thought that gets a chuckle. It's like that little avalanche of, like, oh, maybe I can do this in front of people and, like, relate to, like, a more general population. And, you know, just it, it kind of snowballs into this thing where you're like, oh, crap, like... I guess I'm doing stand-up comedy now. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Especially, you know, when you're just hanging out with friends, making them laugh, you know, and you're like... Yeah. They're like, you're so funny. Or you have people dying, just like in, you know, hotboxing like, a car in high school. Or, I don't know, that's, that's like easy mode. <laughs> but you, right. know, you know what I mean? Well, you gotta start somewhere. Just, just in general. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that's always just fun, making people laugh. And it's like something that's also like a... Like could be a bucket list. Like it just seemed like a challenge. Like I, I liked the idea of the challenge too. How it was like outside of my comfort zone, but still in the yeah, realm definitely. of of like reach. You know. Yeah. Well. So uh, speaking of being outside of your comfort zone, king of the segways over here. Uh, what, what was your first exposure to Gattaca? Because like the the theme is rising above. Ex, like either societal expectations or expectations set for you by others and just being like okay well you know because the persistence is like through spite of desire right I mean like that like his whole thing is like I want to I want to get off this planet yeah uh, him being uh, Vincent uh and, and then subsequently Jerome, but uh, yeah, I, I just—it's it, such an interesting concept to me of, because all, all of their basic needs seem to be taken care of to a larger degree. You know, a, a lot of like the the classism has to do with eugenics or eugenics or greater greater accessibility to things. You know, like at, at the end of the day, I, I would assume that with the technology that they have available, that even public housing—they don't elaborate on this—but like it would be some sort of reasonable, you know, quality of living. Yeah, like, they just, what, like, uh, have all the... Um, basic necessities. Basic necessities for yeah. people, especially with, like, great DNA. You know, I remember sure. there, there was, like, a quote where there was, like, oh, with these, with those helixes, you could go anywhere. Right. You do anything. Or, like, when he interviews for a job, and they're like, yeah, okay, great, you know, you start whenever, he's like, that's it? Or what about the rest of the interview? They're like, what do you... That was the interview. Yeah, that was the interview. Yeah. And, and he comes home, and he's like, he's like, I got it. And he's like, yeah, of course you got it. Like, Yeah, and all they did was take his blood, check right. his DNA. Yeah, just, you're predetermined to get it. Yeah. So how I, I by the way, how yeah. I, I was introduced to Gattaca was yes. in high school, I think it was my junior year, uh, it was like a biology class and my teacher played the movie. And I really don't really have much of a recollection of this experience. I just remember the movie itself making an impression on me. Like I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was like kind of infatuated. And how did you feel watching it again more recently? Well, I remember kind of how I felt when I watched it, but just re-watching it, I had kind of had those same feelings, but I recalled the whole movie because I had totally basically forgotten it sure. since it's been over like a decade or whatever. But, I'll, you know, I, I feel like this movie could come out today. Like, it's still very relevant, you know? It's just like, yeah. how far will humans go in terms of like, um, you know, it's like when we can, when we 
can identify predetermined markers of like having heart disease and we can reduce those. It's like where's where's the line drawn or is there a limit to you know um yeah it's the GMH question, you know, like gen- genetically modified humans. Like are, are we going to cherry pick certain attributes? What does that mean for uh, you know certain subsets of people in the long term? Because the way if we just let it go naturally, we're all going to end up looking beige. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know what? I love the whole like lesson, which is like you can do anything you put your mind to. You know, it really is like that's kind of what what's told through the main character Ethan, yeah. who is just like so determined to go to space. Yeah, you know, fame, despite yeah. his like you know heart issues or whatever, his eyesight. You know, he's he's willing to put in the extra work. He's willing to go the extra mile and do whatever it takes. And it's something he's been practicing ever since he was a kid. And I think that's like just a good, you know, like moral to just be put out into the universe, right? Sure. Because you want people to think that they could do what they put their mind to. You know, if you want people fulfill, to be fulfill the, your potential. Yeah, your potential, yeah, or not totally. to put limits on your potential, right? Because people are probably born into really shitty situations, you know, like the like people who, like I, you know, I feel like we've had conversation with friends who like who like you know, there's something runs in their family, whether it's like alcoholism or heart heart disease or mental disabilities, you know, it's like any sort and, of hereditary malfunction. And people be like, oh, I shouldn't even have kids, or or I shouldn't, eat, or I shouldn't, you know, maybe I'm not the best for this type of thing and it's like I think that anybody's capable of anything you know if I, I like that message. See, you think that people more often than not would rise to the occasion regardless of their perceived or otherwise uh, you know, even if they can't reach attributes. that goal yeah even oh you know what the attempt is worth it the, the, regardless of, of yeah. the result because it's like that it's like that saying where it's like okay you reach for the you reach for the what the, the stars you reach for the moon you land on the star reach what? for the stars and land on the moon yeah something like that That's right right, yeah. right where it's but at least you tried at least you got closer to that goal and yeah. you know and we the, all know the it's not, not easy to get to anyway. yeah it's yeah. not and we know it's not like the destination it's the yeah. journey right so if you That's give true. up before you even start you're gonna live a depressed life. So let me. That, that, this is a great point into the next question, which is, uh, who is your favorite character? I would say Ethan Hawke's character, Vincent. Okay. Uh, More so than Jerome. Jerome was very likable. Yeah. No. But um, I mean. Because I have a counterpoint to your selection with okay. your with your own argument. Not argument, but but very you know, valid point. Yeah, well, I, so I'm, I'm, I definitely think it's Vincent, and it's just because, you know, this is a character that, you know, never gave up. Sure. And so that's admirable and cool, and, you know, I like that in, in him. Yeah, well, and, and he didn't murder someone. I mean, the person who did end up murdering the Simpsons director was the director, because, and I already issued a spoiler alert, so no, no worries there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it, it's like, yeah, and, and he seems so justified in his actions at the end of the day to make his life's work come to fruition, mm-hmm. right, and, and, and no matter what the cost. And, you know, to subvert the system of, like, oh, he doesn't have a violent bone in his body, yet he was capable of murdering somebody in order to attain his goals. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, I, I think that it shows that regardless of the best laid plans of mice and men or, like, you know, our systems in place, that, you know, it, it, nothing is perfect. Uh, not any one system is going to address the entirety of society. Yeah whether it's on the higher end, you know, or the lower end, right? Somebody in their potential and, and they're not being able to attain it for whatever, you know, societal detriment. Or, oh, what's that thing that all white men have? Privilege. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, they, and they live in that and they and they feel justified in whatever action is necessary to attain their goal. So. But wait, so you, you yeah. thought that your favorite character was Jerome. Uh, yeah, okay, sorry, yeah. So I, I like Jerome. Thank you for reeling me in because I was going to go off on a real wild tangent. No, I you got you. No problem. Thank you. Uh, see, that's your hosting ability coming through. Yeah, I was like, okay, back it. to the initial yeah. question. Right. But, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm curious about your counter argument. Sure. Right. So you know, Jerome, on on the surface, it looks as though he's given up. Right. You know, like mm-hmm. he's just like I'm not willing to try to pursue any sort of alternative avenue toward like regaining my 
physical uh, uh, agency. When we first see Jerome, he's surrounded by empty bottles. glass liquor bottles. Yep. He's in a wheelchair. He's yep. locked up in his nice home. Yeah, not doing great. Yeah. Yeah. But I think through his interactions with Vincent and Vincent's drive and determination to obtain his goals that... Uh, Jerome ends up shifting more from a pathetic figure to a martyr almost insofar as that like okay like he does end his life which which is very sad yeah and um, I, I did cry at that which I, I'm happy to admit I've never felt bad about crying at movies I see some people in the theater where like they feel an emotional moment maybe it's because they're in public but oftentimes yeah. like even just watching movies with a friend or like quickly wiping away tears or like oh yeah it's a good movie man <laughs> solid solid movie sick it's like no that didn't make you feel about your own mortality and your own failings and like despite having everything available to you uh, either your own actions or circumstance you know, draws you away from your basically guaranteed spot in society. So, you know, uh, what do you do with that? Do you end up at the bottom of a bottle, or do you try to help someone else in their dream? And that's why I think that you know Jerome takes a a path that could easily not be followed. Right. Yeah. You know, like I, I often think of like, yeah, you because know, I, I get my health checked pretty frequently for cancers, uh, you know, other things that affect tall people, like you know, deep vein thrombosis and uh, prone to embolisms and aneurysms. Yeah. For the same reason. Uh, so like that and cancers and shit like that, like yeah, you know, for whatever reason I just have this. I don't want to say hypochondriac kind of thing, but I'm pretty frequent on my shit. That's great. That's a great habit. It's a good thing. I've, you know, I'm 33, 32 years old. I've already gotten a colonoscopy. Uh, and I was awake for it. <laughs> no, but I... Per I guess, request. Yeah, as per request. No, but my, my point is is that, like, we, we take all of these steps, you know, like, again, best laid plans of mice and men, right? Like, we take all these steps towards uh, trying to ensure our future, but... It's all about doing what with the cards you, you're dealt, right? You know, like, uh, when you're faced with a situation, how do you face it? I think that Jerome's character ultimately faces it with uh, a certain amount of grace. Uh, the decision to take his own life isn't out of depression or self-pity. It's about wanting to ensure that Vincent will be able to continue on as Jerome when he returns from his trip to Titan. And that became, like, his new purpose. Right, right? Or right. Jerome's purpose, and you saw that being fulfilled. And Yeah. Yeah, and, and so it was very So that's, that's, that's kind of my counter-argument to, like, you know, okay, like, yeah, you, why, why isn't Ethan Hawke's character my favorite character? I, I mean, is it, you know, it, he, I definitely like his story arc. There's just something about Ethan Hawke that I don't like. Mm -hmm. Well, I definitely like Jude Law. I, well, I know you, you kind of sent two questions, I feel like, that were very... <laughs> or one's like the character versus the character, the actor versus the yes, actor. that's fair. And yeah. I would go Jude Law over Ethan. Yeah, I'm being prejudiced but, in that. Yeah. I'm, de I'm definitely being prejudiced in that, yeah. They're both very likable uh, characters, especially at the end of the movie. Like when Jude, when, when uh, Ethan Hawke's walking through the Gattaca Corporation with his hands behind his back and like looking all smart, I don't buy it. Yeah. I don't, you know. Well, he's faking it. He is. So, and he's making it. Well, he, and he's he's playing that part, though. He's, he, he's only doing that, I think, so so people believe with him as being, like, as like the yeah. top of society that he's sure. supposed to be. Well, and the fact that he can't fake it is, is impressive in its own right. Yeah. But it, it's funny to me that, because they don't look alike. Yeah. At all. Which, which they really blow over in the movie. They're like, no one cares what you look like. They well, just know I, your I don't know so much that that's blown over. Because what they're saying is that, like, they rely so much in their assurance and their technology and science of identifying through genetics that they've lost the ability to read other people in real time. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't even think that Anton, uh, Vincent's brother, realizes that it's Vincent until about two-thirds through the movie. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, the, the, the detective. And that's just the, hard to wrap my mind around. It's just, like, not seeing what people's face looks like. 
you know, because you have to recognize people through their face because you don't, you don't, you're not, you're not like well, sensing people's DNA all the time. True, but when I walked in here and I looked around, I saw the beanie. And I was like, that's that's Hewitt. That yeah, that makes sense. You were also the only person in the room, but. <laughs> My point is, like, you know, association aside from face, you know, like, so they associate your status, mm-hmm. you know, which is predicated by your, your genetic viability, you know, and, and these things are so assured, right, like, through their testing that it's, you know, you can't possibly be somebody else. impossible. Yeah. Like, like, that opening sequence where he's filling the blood pouch in the, in the uh, fingerprint. Yeah, where he's like filling it with blood. Is so, that the opening uh, opening scene? Or? Well, he's, he, the, opening, the manscaping scene, very central. When when Ethan Hawke is scrubbing himself down in the in the shower and like he's doing all the manscaping and like cutting his yeah 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 and shaving and this that and the third and it, it, in order to you know make sure that he has uh, Jude Law's genetic material on him. He doesn't want to leave any traces around right. Gattaca, basically. Yeah. Yet he does. I mean, you know, despite all of his or, work, he leaves that eyelash yeah. just randomly. On, like, a windowsill or right, something. Right, like, yeah. yeah, which, I mean, that's very thorough forensics. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's why there's that kind of level of ego and technology. And I think that's something that we, it, it definitely mirrors our society in that our forensics is not that great, actually. It is now. But in 1997, it was not that great. I, I think it's it's like, uh, sometimes I think of movies as part of the deep state, like security theater. You know, like the, some of like the near sci-fi, because it's set in the near future, right? Like it says yeah. that, setting up in the, in the beginning of the movie. And it's, uh, it's like, okay, well, you know, what, like, in Minority Report, while you're walking through, you know, they're going to scan your eyes from random machines that are, like, posted up on the walls and, like, because we are close to that, kind of, insofar as facial recognition. Definitely. Uh, you know, the, the prevalence of, of security cameras. Uh, you know, just smartphones, smartphones. and how, how frequently our locations track through our own thumbprint. Absolutely. So do you, do you have a favorite scene in the movie? You know, initially my favorite scene was like kind of one of the pivotal scenes in the movie where he's racing Anton, where um, Vincent is racing Anton the second time as adults, and he's like, how'd you, how'd you beat me all these years? And he's like, I never thought about the way back. I never thought about the swim back. I did what I had to do. And that's, that's a very hard-hitting part. That's like yeah. a very iconic scene of that movie. Talk about giving it your all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, you're literally like every time you compete on a one-way trip, yeah, that's a that's a mindset. Because that's that's like the whole his secret throughout the whole movie is like how he's able to do everything. He's like, I did what it takes to get there. Didn't think about the way back. But I sounds like it. sounds like our stand-up a bit. Can't ever think of a way back. But yeah. but, but you do but, because no, nothing is quite as good as Nelly's 2005 hit Grills. Such a good song. <laughs> it's yeah. Such a good joke. <laughs> I, was, I haven't done that in a while. I need to, I need to bring that back. Dude, I was talking about that joke on the way down to Salem with uh, Kyle and, and Gene DeWeber. And uh, I was like, that's, or no, it's a Brett Lowry, but I was like, dude, that's one of my favorite jokes. Fuck yeah. You know, it's great hearing that because, you know, you temporarily forget about bits sometimes. Sure. And I haven't been, I think I did like a 10, you gotta minute, bring it back. 10 minute set, didn't even include yeah. it recently, and I'm going to I'm gonna pull that back to my set tomorrow and top that. Let me hear that what? The grills? Wait, yeah, what? yeah, let me hear them grills. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what um, Right. My favorite scene, though, in the movie, was at the right before he goes on, takes yeah. flight in the spaceship, and uh, the interaction with the doctor. Interaction with the doctor. So good. When he's when it's he has yeah. one. There's one final check to to make sure that he is um, who he says he is, and it's a urine test that he was not expecting, and he's he's been able to it's just you like know, you know what you got me. Yeah, get through every yeah. single you know maneuver, and <laughs> yeah. then he's like, fuck it. Just remember that I'm as good as the rest of them, and I tried my best. Yeah. And he's ready to fail. Yeah. And he takes the, you know, Dr. he takes Lamar. a pee. Yeah. Doctor Lamar. Oh. He totally looks takes looks a blind eye. He's like, he has a son right. that apparently like you know isn't living up up to his expectations, yeah. and so he's like kind of proud. Society's of expectations. Society's. Yeah. No, he, he loves his son very much. That's, yeah. I think that's like the, the connection there. And like, it, what, what's funny to me he is saw, this is just like movie magic. He just like he comes up in. Value. 
Valley. Yeah. Right? And then, like, he just pushes a button, and then all of a sudden, Jerome Morrow's picture comes up, and I'm just like, yeah, that's so convenient, you know? like That there's, like, a valid button? Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, oh, just, like, because in a society that um, just has technology that's meant to see if people are valid or invalid, yeah. you would think that that would be a red flag, and, it, like, security would come in, and they'd be like, oh, this is the guy who's wanted for killing the person, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like they would, that would fuck him over. Well, and also, I'm But that sorry, was a very heartfelt scene. Dr. Right? Lamar is kind of a pervert, though, because he was like, nobody who's right-handed shakes with their left, like, talking about all the urinalysis that they've done over yeah, the years. Yeah, he's year. like, it's a dead giveaway how you touch your dick. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I've been watching how you touch your dick, and it's yeah. a dead giveaway that you're... <laughs> that is his job. That's like 100% of what he does. Because I've seen Jerome Morrow touch his dick. He didn't know it, but I, I saw it. Yeah, and he, he shook with his with his life. <laughs> right, right. Was, whatever. What was your favorite scene? Oh, my favorite scene. See, nobody asks me these questions in return. Well, whatever. It's always a one-sided thing. Uh, my favorite scene is because it's so visually striking. Is when Ethan Hawke is walking uh, down the spiral staircase and. Because it looks like half of a double helix. Yeah. Because the two of them together create, like, you know, one amalgamation of a person because of their respective either societal or physical flaws. Yeah. And it, you know, so that juxtaposition, framing wise, like, really spoke to me. And that was one of my favorite scenes. That's a, yeah, that's a great, like, takeaway. I didn't even think about the comparison between that and, like, a, and, like, a, a DNA, like, like, double helix. The spiral staircase. Yeah. Yeah, well, cool. and, that makes and, so and, much and sense now. It's a lot of imagery there, but it also takes place in like six different sets. Yeah, like like the whole movie. That's a good point. Yeah, there's only so many different like scenes. And I love the neo mid-century like vibe, the like futuristic Frank Lloyd Wright, and I think it was Frank Lloyd Wright buildings that were used largely as the the set imagery, especially where Jerome lived, like that apartment complex building or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love that. I love the cars. The cars were super cool, and, like, the fact that the, the inference was that they were electric, just the sound that they make as they go off. Um, and the clothing, too. I, I don't know if it won any awards. I haven't looked too far into it yet. This is one of the rare times that I... It was at least nominated. Yeah, oh, I would say so, yeah. yeah. I, and, I saw that it was nominated. I didn't see that it won anything. Okay. Well, and like I said, there was so much that came out in 1997 that, like, I'm, I'm fairly certain the Fifth Element won a bunch of awards. Men in Black won some awards. Um, Contact, Jodie Foster. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Contact. You know what? I don't love Jodie Foster. I don't know if I've seen that movie. It's not bad. I, I've been doing this thing where I don't rely on people. So I've been wrong a lot recently. That's good. Hopefully that's strengthening your own memory. It's doing something. Yeah. It's strengthening my self-loathing. Yeah. Let's <laughs> not do that much. We were kind of talking about this earlier, like, the, there's a major plot hole in the whole thing. Like, if they have the technology that they have for genetic manipulation and detection, why do they not have the medical technology to help Jerome Morrow's walk again, if not, like, some sort of, some sort of exoskeleton, like... Well, because, I mean, this is why. Let me tell you, to you something about science here. Okay. They only have the, uh, the technology to, like, adjust, like, the DNA before conception, like, before, like, you know, it's, like, basically as, like, a embryo or whatever, you know? True. So, that's just the science they have at that time. That's so true. There's no examples of them, like, you know, changing someone's DNA as an adult. No, otherwise they wouldn't have such a caste system. Yeah. So, I would be cleaning toilets with Vincent for that question. I, would, I don't even want to know what I'd be doing. They'd throw me in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this guy's bald? I thought those people were gone, like, decades ago. <laughs> I think uh, having some sort of averse adversity in life ends up giving some people advantages sometimes, right? Because if you're born thinking that you're perfect, then you might not try as hard, for instance. That is an astute observation. So you think that Stevie Wonders is an international music sensation because he's blind? I, um... Tread lightly. Yeah. <laughs> 
He's blind from the jump. That definitely like, 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 uh, helped yeah. form him. You know, he probably, like, yeah. yeah, you know what? Him being blind probably made his uh, hearing more, like, acute and, like, just, like, how much he enjoyed and appreciated music. Um, you know, that made it such a more infinitely bigger part of his life, I'm sure. Not even having any visuals whatsoever. Imagine how significant um, just, like, playing the piano was and just audio in general was. Well, the, sti- the stimuli from the senses that you did have, I, you know, they, they say, like, I don't want to say, like, Daredevil, but, like, they're amplified to a certain degree. And like it's Daredevil, it, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Wait, you mean, like, Daredevil? Yeah. <laughs> oh, like Daredevil. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could just see Stevie Wonder is taking on a group of men in a parking lot. You know, if he had, um, you know, spent his time differently, um, he probably could have. <laughs> probably could have. Put down the piano and pick up the nunchucks or something. That's so true. <laughs> so we bringing it back to Gattaca. Because <laughs> Stevie Wonder, he wouldn't even be, he would he just, yeah, they would definitely have thrown him in the trash, right? Like... Yeah, I mean, blindness is the first thing to go when yeah. you start using eugenics. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Blindness, mo- and this is, more this limbs is, than you require. One of my least favorite scenes, I would say, in this movie, though, is like when, um, when, when, all right, they had, they had like the first kid, they had Ethan's character, Vincent. Right. They had him by chance, he was a faith. A yeah. faith. Birth. Yeah, and then uh, they're working on kid number two, Anton, and they're like, and the guy is like, oh, you're gonna want him to be, you know, they're like, let's just leave this up to chance. Let's leave a couple things up to chance. Like the alcoholism. I think that was one that they mentioned. They were like, can't we just leave like that up to chance? (laughs) Like what? No. I mean, they're like, we like to party. Can we like to party? Yeah. You know. Um, Yeah, but it's like, and there's like the peer pressure. The doctor was like, no, trust me, you're going to want him to be like as good as possible. And don't worry, it's not just like the best, it's just like the best versions of you, you know. And that, that scene to me was really cringy. And it, it was just honestly just like an example of, you know, people's mindsets in that society. Yeah. So it makes sense. But it was like, just like the tone and like peer pressure and that the doctor had. He was like, no, trust me, I know better. Well, I, I think it's allegorical for, like, American exceptionalism in a way, insofar as that, you know, they, they have, like, yeah, all right, so our society sets forth all of these expectations, and, you know, if, if you were born with a certain amount of privilege or a mindset where, like, you're expected to succeed because of your societal status, that's why I can see part of the reason why people be like, oh, Jer- Jerome killed himself because he wasn't living up to the expectations of society but I, I, I again like I said I, I look at it a bit differently like he was doing it in order to ensure that Vincent can step into the role that he's, he was deserved of, deserving of but wasn't given the chance to fulfill you know from the jump so he had to come up with this crazy scheme uh, what they call it borrowed ladders yeah I, I thought that was an interesting term. Yep. Yeah, because a ladder. Yeah, make, it makes sense as a as a phrase. Yeah, especially in the context of the film. But it makes you wonder how many other borrowed ladders are there. They seem like it'd be so rare. I can't believe there's already like a term. The terminology for it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And there's a guy that like has the job to like organize borrowed ladders. Like, like there's just a scene where Ethan's like, so he decided. So his character Vincent decided to check out more extreme methods of, of achieving his goal. And then next scene, this guy's like, so I'm going to match you up with somebody who got in this accident, you know, and introduce him to Jerome. Like, how do you find that guy? How is that guy not arrested? Just Tony Shalhoub, bro. Like, yeah. like Tony Shalhoub's the guy. I, I can definitely see a character who would specialize in matching... You know, this guy with that guy. But, you know, like, wherever there's a need, there's a black market. So, yeah, I, I definitely see... I, I would say, yes, it's a bit of a rare... It's definitely a specialty kind of thing. You know, like, what are the odds that these two people are going to be a good match? It, it just shows the extremes that people were going to were willing to go through. You know, like, uh, Vincent gained two inches by having bone and flesh material added to his, you know, calves and, and What shins. a painful surgery that sounded like. Oh. Height surgery? Because what they used to do back in the day was break your legs 
at the shins and at the femurs and then stretch it out on a, with ropes and then let it reset in plaster. Yeah, if you wanted to be taller, and you would get maybe a two, three inches out of it. But they would, uh, yeah. I had my, I, I had, um... Or they cut the tendons and reattach them, like, after they had loosened. Yeah, but you have to be under for that, or under ether or something. Yeah. I, I'm going to look this up really quick. Okay. But basically, basically, I had a surgery when I was young, where I was born, like, pigeon toes, right? Okay. But it was, like, twisting of the, of the bone, sure. right, and then my leg, and, uh, to fix it... Um, my leg was like basically cut in half, yeah. and then twisted outwards, and then bolted, and then those bol- those bolted and that plate was, God, horrifying. was removed. Wait, oh yeah, so it was the tibia. Okay. The tibia and fibula, yeah, both in the lower leg. Okay. So yeah, it was my it was like like my tibia that was that was cut open. So I kind of had like a similar experience, except for not lengthened, but just like like rotating. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. My legs was rotating. And it was actually it's actually interesting. This is part of the reason why this movie. Like, like I feel like appealed to me is like I have an identical twin brother. Yeah. Right. But we're not actually we're not identical. You're fraternal more so. We're we're like, like very close. You, you guys do look very similar. Well, it's because we're identical in like the like a, the genetics sense of okay. like um you know we're like the, like the same. DNA initially and they like split in half versus two different sperms that get into the same egg. Sure. Right? And uh, I was born with like this like this rare syndrome called Russell Silver Syndrome. So I had an identical twin brother, but I actually was like uh, like like shorter, had some unsymmetrical features, you know, like such as like my leg when I was born, you know. So ideally, my brother and I would be identical if I didn't have this syndrome. Not so like technically we're not fraternal, and technically we're not identical. But in like the definition of we, but we are homogeneous, which is yeah. normally results in identical twins. Mm. But so I was I, You're a little bit rarer than very I, very yeah. rare. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've never heard of this before. Besides this, my own case. But I grew up with a twin brother who was taller than me, stronger than me. You know, and I remember as, almost, as like this is literally <laughs> the plot of Gattaca. Yeah, like, and as a young kid, I was like, fuck. I feel like I need to work harder. Yeah. Or it's like, or like you know, whenever we were racing each other or swimming you know because he was we were, we were technically identical twins but I'm like literally a shorter so if we looked alike you would be Vincent and I would be Anton yes yeah yeah yeah. so it's so, so it did I remember this movie resonated with me because of this random thing yeah. that I dealt with as like a kid where it was like this identical twin that was like shorter than my brother yeah so, so let me ask you this um, where could you have you have a mic you have shows I let's don't see, have a mic but I do that. have a show so, you have shows. so I'm really excited about my it's not that new anymore but it's Laugh Basement I have this monthly show at the Goodfoot Lounge in Southeast Portland it's called Laugh Basement it's the first Monday of every month nice. at 7.30 and it's been fucking amazing it's been filling up there's been there's like 90 plus people at the last show it's so much fun um, I think we're gonna have show number 6 Black Basement number 6 on April 4th Solid. It's gonna be a great lineup. Sam Miller's headlining. Oh, dude, I love Sam Miller. Yeah. I, saw, I I was on a show with him in Albany. Uh, shout out Ty Boyce. Shout out Soul of Wit. Yes. Um, and dude, he crushed for forty minutes, if not an hour. It seemed. I mean, like, he, and he could have kept going. Sam Miller is one of the funniest people that I've seen out of here. Yeah, he's. I've, I've only seen him do, I feel like, less than 10 minute sets. So he's only going to do 30 at Laugh Basement. Because I do like six comics on the sure. show. Yeah, yeah. But I'm really excited to see him do a longer set. And I've, he's just been killing it. I follow him on Instagram, on social media, on YouTube. And he's just doing hours every night in like, Dude. you know, theaters and various He's, a, he's, a, cr- he's a crusher. What's up, boys? Yeah, he's a crusher. So I'm excited to have him at Laugh Basement, the good foot, April 4th. Um, him, Elena, you know, C. Hayden. Chris Lockridge, um, Katie Minguin. I, I might pronounce that incorrectly, but um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a terrific yeah. lineup as they all have been like pretty entertaining. So awesome! Well, I look forward to it. It's in the calendar. And then and I guess my podcast that we were talking about yeah. earlier is called Urban Network Podcast. That's been a lot of fun recently. I've been kind of picking up frequency of like episodes. Nice. Today I actually interviewed a comedy movie producer, writer, and director. And she's produced like she's been producing short and feature indie 
comedy movies since 2004. Nice. And that was being a comedian, that was like one of my most enjoyable natural interviews that I've had today. Oh, great. And that was this morning. What's her, what's her name? Her name is Ann Wells. Ann Wells. Cool. Well, yeah. we'll have to check it out. Is there, is there a feature that we should check out in the meantime as well for her? Um, she, yeah, she has a feature film called uh, like An Accident Alien Named Ted. Okay. Um, so she has all her movies like either about like aliens or or zombies or I know this is an accidental zombie named Ted. Is okay. It's called. Definitely up, right up my so, alley. So yeah. she's into really outrageous comedies. That, sure. you know, like, there's like Bigfoot, you know, it's like super outrageous comedies. Nice. Definitely check her out. I still need to watch her movies and stuff. But yeah. normally my podcasts are like 15 to 20 minutes, 15 to 25 minutes. This one was like an hour long because nice. it was just such a fun conversation yeah, about conversation how films college. get made and the challenges and, and fun aspects that go into that. You know? It's a lot. Yeah, it's <laughs> infinite. So that was that was super fun, and you know I interviewed Alberta Abbey recently, like some of the people on the board of directors there. Oh, cool. The owner of Sizzle Pie, Matt Jacobson. Oh yeah, I saw that footage. Yeah, that, yeah. that was like probably that's like the most viewed episode so far. Nice. Um, but definitely check out Urban Network podcast if you want to see, you know. Stories of like local business owners, nonprofit leaders, or you know, entrepreneurs. Awesome. Well, Hewitt, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me here at my father's place. By the way, that's where we're at. We're yeah. at we're Open mic at my father's place, hosted mic. by Michael Phelps. Shout Michael out Michael Phelps. Phelps. Shout out Michael J. Phelps. Uh, we did Don't Look Up for episode 12. It was super awesome. And every week, I do rain or shine, I'm here at my father's place. So. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Therese. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, buddy. I had a great time sitting down with Hewitt. He's a funny and insightful dude, and I thank him for this week's suggestion. Even maybe tear up a bit, but that's when you know you're watching a solid piece of cinema, and that you've had twice the recommended dosage of edibles. But you know I had to save just a couple of the heady morsels for this week's water cooler fact. Gattaca was voted by NASA scientists in 2010 as the most plausible science fiction film ever made, beating out Total Recall, if you can believe it. And that's high praise coming from an organization that made a former Nazi SS official the head of its rocketry program. But that's a whole nother thing. Apparently the nerds at NASA thought so highly of the film and its content, and for good reason, as there are a lot of scientific Easter eggs within the film, as we just reviewed, but none tickled their fancy more than the scenes showing the trajectory of the proposed flight plan to Titan, the largest moon orbiting Saturn. Apparently the data shown depicts an accurate telemetry readout of the gravitational slingshot effect that would occur when sending a ship into the planet's system. What's more is that the staff ranked Gattaca higher in feasibility than Contact, another great film released the same year, due to the societal issues the movie touches on, like classism and the surveillance state, the viability of the science and genetic manipulation of embryos, as well as the privatization of space travel, all of which are becoming not dissimilar in reality to the portrayal of those, quote, advancements shown in the film. Wow, those facts really reach for the stars. Yes, I just did that, and no, I'm not sorry. But, as per always, I'd like to acknowledge the sources for today's episode and all of the hard work that they put in scouring the various media sources covered in Science Factual so that all I have to do is cherry-pick the best morsels and feed them to you, the listener. Those sources are Ranker.com, Wikipedia.com, because if it's on Wikipedia, you know it must be true, and IMDB.com, including research done by my lovely wife and life partner, Amanda. Thank you! Next week, we're getting back into television land with a dive into the recently released Raised by Wolves with the incredibly talented Rochelle Cochran. We met up before an open mic and got to talking about the series, which I highly recommend for any sci-fi nerd. It's got interplanetary travel, androids, religion versus atheism, the works. So be sure to check out that episode next Tuesday, March 29th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Minds Radio. Download the very much free Shady Pines Radio app wherever apps are available and tune in to the best content Portland and the beyond has to offer.
In the meantime, let's take a listen into the mind and life of Hewitt Pagenstecker with an excerpt from his vlog. You might even hear some familiar names. All right, I'm here with Amanda and Juan at Schmitza. How are you guys doing today? We're doing good. Welcome Happy doing Happy New Year. This is one of Amanda's two open mics that she runs. The other one was at Haymaker, which we were at last Thursday. I love working with kids, and if you want to know my secret, it's just half an edible every day before work. <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding. That's fucked up. It's a whole edible every day before work. So I go but to the napkin area, and I grab a knife, and I'm like, fuck, now I'm just like a guy walking alone with a knife. And I'm like, this, I don't like this situation. I'm like, do I put it on my sleeve a little bit? Does that make it better? No, it makes it much. That's what, way worse, way worse. I'm here with Imani. She showed up at Haymaker. What's Imani. up, everyone? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like moving closer to the camera. What? She's like, what do I look like? <laughs> What's up, everyone? <laughs> I just actually did her podcast, Rap Dumbass. Yes, coming soon, Rap Dumbass. You know much about rap music? You know, we're gonna find out. <laughs> <laughs>